Friends, welcome back. Welcome back after a little bit of time away. Hope you guys had a great spring break. Uh, whether you went home or did a little spring break trip or missions trip, what have you, uh, it, is, uh, it is good to be back here. I hope you came back with some fuel in the tank to tackle the remainder of this semester. We have a few weeks ahead of us and hope you, uh, you're ready to finish strong. Uh, so glad to be back with you all. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you've got a smartphone or, or what have you, you can turn to whatever device you have, Matthew 7. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and we'll have, uh, we'll have someone coming around and they can get a Bible to you here this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing our series, The Kingdom Way, which is a study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been with us for much of this year, friends, you'll know that Jesus has said a lot at this point. He has said a lot. The really cool thing is a lot of what he has said is, is actually portable. It's, it's really quote-worthy. I mean, if you, if you were ever to tweet something that Jesus said, you would not come to a deficit in, with, with the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, when we come to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we have sayings like, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, well under 140 characters, right? How about this one? Turn the other cheek. If you're struck, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. This, this next one summarizes kind of the heart and the essence of Christ's teaching. These three simple words that pack a punch, love your enemies. Or how about the, the entire Lord's Prayer? I know it's not 140 characters, but in the entire Lord's Prayer, our Father prayer, the our Father who art in heaven, right? Or he goes on, he says, store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. He says, take the log out of your own eye. Or even any of the, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He said those statements six times, and those six times he said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. But out of everything Jesus has said thus far, none is more quote-worthy, or at least none has been quoted more than the words that we're going to look at here today in this morning's passage. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, we find what has been commonly termed as the golden rule. You know the golden rule, right? If you don't, we got it tweetable here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Well, that sentiment originated from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, he says these words. Look with me at verse 12. We're going to actually read through Matthew 7, verse 12 through verse 14. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time here this morning unpacking the words of Christ here for our context. Matthew 7, meet me at verse 12. He starts with the golden rules. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And then he goes on in verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, just as a, a quick disclaimer, the message you're about to hear and the message you will hear next week, if you were here during spring break, either before or after, uh, and you joined us at the State College Alliance Church, there are going to be some familiar pieces that ring throughout the message. Just, uh, just want to, to give you a quick heads up on that. But today, 
As we come to this passage, I want to address two aspects of this passage, the golden rule and the narrow gate. Those are the two kind of overarching concepts and word pictures that Jesus gives us here, the golden rule and the narrow gate. And the way I want to talk about those pieces is through what we're going to call for this morning a point of collision, a point of collision. You see, when it comes to these two concepts, the golden rule and the narrow gate, what we find is a cultural collision that takes place. Not with each other, not with the golden rule colliding with the narrow gate, rather with each concept and with our cultural assumptions. Now, it's important that we identify that. You see, one way is the way of the world, And the other way is the way of the kingdom. And when those two things intersect, what you find is a natural point of collision that takes place. In fact, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but this collision point has been taking place all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The reason why we call this series The Kingdom Way is because the way of God's kingdom always collides with the ways of this world. That's why Jesus had to say, you've heard it said, You've lived according to this way for some time now, but now I say to you, there's a point of collision. So much of what Jesus talks about in his sermon on the mount is how we as the people of God, that's all of us, if you have bowed your knee to the lordship of Jesus, he addresses this with us. He says, we are, li- we are called to live according to the ways of God's kingdom as opposed to the ways of this world. And when we try to do that, There is an unavoidable point of collision that takes place every time we try to implement the words of Christ in our cultural context. And I want to look at the golden rule and the point of collision we find here for just a minute. Now, with the golden rule, at first glance, you might be wondering, wait a minute, I'm not sure I see much of a, a cultural collision here with this golden rule. In fact, most people who, who didn't grow up in the church, who have no faith background, would readily embrace the golden rule. They would say the golden rule is a good thing. I'm, a, I'm familiar with the golden rule. I'm not familiar with Jesus, all of Jesus' teaching, but, but the golden rule I'm familiar with. In fact, to give you some examples, there have been a number of cases where non-Christian platforms have affirmed the golden rule teaching. Forbes magazine earlier this year, in February 27th, he, they said brands have lost their manners and need to get back to the golden rule. Market Watch on February 28th of this year said, We are beyond proud to partner with Southwest Airlines, a company that is anchored by embracing civility and practicing the golden rule. Wall Street Journal had a light bulb moment on February 25th. They said, Good news, practicing the golden rule is generally a winning strategy. Thank you, Wall Street Journal. Another tech company uh, put out an article that said, Five strategies to grow your small business. You guessed it, do unto others the golden rule by the way do you know how the golden rule came about do you know how the golden rule became the golden rule you got to understand jesus never coined this teaching as the golden rule he didn't get to this point in the sermon and was like okay guys i i know i've said some really good stuff but you might want to take out your notepad now because i'm about to give you some really golden i'm about i'm about to give you the golden rule that's not how the golden rule went down The description of this phrase as the golden rule is believed to be attributed to the Roman emperor Alexander Severus, who was the Roman emperor around early to to mid-200 AD, who had had the golden rule inscribed on the wall of his chamber. 
You see, the Roman Emperor Alexander Severus was so enamored with Jesus' simple yet intriguing and elegant teaching that he had it inscribed on his wall literally in gold, hence the golden rule. Since then, we have had all kinds of versions of the golden rule grace us, even in other religions. Buddhism says, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find harmful. Sound familiar? Golden rule. Islam says, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. Golden rule. Judaism says, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. That, that is the entire law and all the rest is commentary. The golden rule. And so then where does this point of collision come? Where does this point of collision come? Because it seems like literally everyone subscribes to this particular teaching of Jesus. From Forbes magazine to the Buddhists and the Muslims, everyone it seems to agree that the golden rule is acceptable. It's a good thing. I don't see a point of collision here. You see, the point of collision doesn't come with the teaching itself. Rather, with the assumptions that are underneath the teaching. The assumptions are what makes this point of collision so catastrophic. In fact, I want to address just two assumptions when it comes to applying the golden rule. Just two. There may be more, but I just want to touch on two for our time's sake here this morning. First assumption is this. If I apply the golden rule, I'm golden. <laughs> I'm good. If I apply the golden rule, my relationship with Jesus is good. My relationship with God is good. In other words... For some of us, I think the tendency is to substitute the golden rule for the gospel. For some of us, I think we take the golden rule and we elevate it because it's the golden rule, right? It's, it's the, it's, everyone agrees that this is, this is a, a, a penultimate thing that we should strive for. And we place it right on the same plane as the gospel. In fact, for some of us, we straight up replace the gospel with the golden rule. But friends, i got to tell you this morning, the golden rule is not the gospel. you got to understand that. I know cognitively you get that, but you need to understand it in application. The golden rule is not the gospel. The golden rule, friends, listen, the golden rule cannot save you. The gospel can. The golden rule cannot deliver you from a life of sin. The gospel can. The golden rule can, has the power to, to lead you into, into an everlasting life with God the Father. The golden rule cannot do that. Has no power to do that. The gospel has the power to do that. You see, because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is all about the infinite God of the universe who out of his abounding love for you sent Jesus to do for you what you can never do for yourself. You see, here's the thing about the golden rule. The golden rule is all about what you do. You do unto others. It's all about our actions and our ability to, to execute the golden rule. The golden rule is about what you do. The gospel is about what has been done for you. The gospel is not the golden rule, and the golden rule is not the gospel. And the good news of Jesus is precisely that. Good news because Jesus did for us what we can never do on our own. And so through his death and resurrection, we are no longer under the power of sin and death. 
But rather, those who have placed our trust in Christ are made into new creations. We are given a new life, one that is marked by joy, peace, liberty, grace, and love. And now, out of that place, in light of what Jesus has done for us, we then turn around and we do unto others. You see, the golden rule is not the gospel because the gospel says, here's what God has done for you. And out of the gospel, out of gospel living, then we execute the golden rule. Out of what God has done for us, we then turn around and do unto others. And so the first assumption we need to address is this idea that if I apply the golden rule, I'm golden. God's good with me. I'm good with God. And we got to understand that the golden rule is not the gospel. In fact, the only way you're truly good is when you embrace the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and what he has done for you. We must never confuse the golden rule for the gospel. The second assumption is this, is that when I apply the golden rule, it will be reciprocated. When I apply the golden rule, it will be reciprocated. And folks, that's just not true. It's just not true at all. I see this all the time with our kids. You know, we, we try to teach our kids to live by biblical principles, right? We try to instruct them according to biblical standards. And, and so we try to teach them to live by the golden rule. Now, you know, we don't, we don't ever say like, okay, boys, now when you go to school, remember to practice the golden rule. Okay, that's not like, we don't do that. That's weird. So like, you know, we, we just tell them, look, you know, you, you need to make sure you treat people with kindness and love. Because that's how you would want to be treated. They say, yeah, 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 I, I get that. Yeah, that's, I want my friends to love me and, and treat me with kindness and respect. So, so it makes sense. In their little, you know, minds, that, that, that makes sense. Now, here's what tends to happen. They attempt to treat someone with kindness and love as they were instructed, as they were told. Golden rule, okay. But the other person doesn't respond likewise. In fact, sometimes they're met with the very opposite of kindness and love. How many of you know, they're just some straight-up mean kids out there. It's just like, you know, you, you need to pray for them. I mean, they're like cast out demons, or I don't know what you need to do, but they're just some mean kids out there, right? And so, like, they, they're trying to apply the golden rule, but it's, it's met with the very opposite of kindness and love. And when that happens, they then turn around to mom and dad, and they're like, see, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This whole golden rule thing, to be kind and loving, the golden rule thing doesn't really work. You see, I think somewhere deep down inside of all, of all of us, we believe that if we apply the golden rule, it will be reciprocated, or at least it should be reciprocated. John Piper, a well-known pastor and author, he put it this way. He said, most people pick up the golden rule with the idea that if they use it, then things will get easier. I play nice, you play nice. I work for your benefit, and you work for mine. Promise, Jesus never promised this. Friends, notice Jesus never said, do unto others, and others will do the same unto you. That's not what Jesus said. The golden rule is not a promise of sorts. It's not an if-then scenario. If you do this, then this will happen. The golden rule simply offers a guideline, never a promise. The guideline is, whatever you wish that others would do to you, whatever you wish, See, there's no guarantee that when you live by the golden rule that it's going to be reciprocated. In fact, hate to break it to you, but Jesus seems to promise the very opposite. 
In this very same sermon, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Remember when Jesus said that? Like eons ago, like back in August when we, when we were in Matthew 5, right, in the Kingdom Way series, Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you. I mean, that's more along the lines of what you can expect, to which many of us would look at that and say, why in the world would I ever sign up for that? If that's what Jesus is promising me, that people are going to revile me, persecute me, and utter all kinds of evil against me, why in the world would I ever want that for my life? To which I imagine Jesus would turn to us and say, you see, that's, that's why you need to understand the concept of the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I want to talk to you just for the list, this last stretch of time. I want to talk to you for a brief moment about the cultural collision that we see with this particular teaching of Jesus. Jesus shows us two gates, two gates, right? He gives us several key descriptions of these two gates. There's gate number one. And here's what we know about gate number one. It's a wide gate, it's the wide gate, and the way to the wide gate is easy. It's not hard, but, but it leads to destruction. And many enter through it. And then there's gate number two, and that's the narrow gate. Here's what we know about the narrow gate. It's a narrow gate, and the way to the narrow gate is hard. It's, it comes with challenges. It, it, it is ridden with difficulties, but it leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, right off the bat, Jesus gets all up in our cultural assumptions. You see, in our culture, it is assumed that the right way is the way of inclusion. Right? That it's morally wrong and ethically wrong to be exclusive in any type of way. To be exclusive is to be narrow-minded and hateful and overall a terrible human being. So for the love of God, don't ever be exclusive. Now, look, I'm not trying to argue against inclusion or for, uh, for exclusion, but I'm here to say Jesus gets unapologetically exclusive here. He says there's only one gate to find life. There's not two, there's not three, there's not four. There's only one gate to find life, and that's through the narrow gate. Now, we don't like that. We don't like that because we of this century, of this time, of this age, we like options. We like options. We, wanna, we want the option to say, you know, I'm out, right? Like we, 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 like, we like making last-minute decisions because we want to know that we have the option to text our friend and say, hey, I'm not coming. Why not? I just don't feel like it. I just, just something changed. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. We like options. We like the, the, the moving wind of our lives, and so we like to choose from a platter of options. That's why we go to Baskin-Robbins, 31 flavors, right? 30, good Lord, 31 flavors, you know, right, like we, we go to the buffet lines because we got options to choose from. But here, Jesus only gives us two options, and at that, he says only one leads to life. And what's that way? It's the hard way of following after Jesus, and he says only a few are on that road. I 
find it interesting, I don't know if you do, that Jesus points out the number of people on these different paths. He says, those who enter by the wide gate are many. There's a bunch of them. You don't even have to look hard. Just, just look to your left and to your right. You're going to find a whole lot of people on this wide path. But those who find the narrow gate, he says, they're few. There aren't a whole lot of them. In fact, you may even have to work a little bit harder to look for them. Friends, I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you're, you're just going with the flow of the many where you find yourself rationalizing something that you wouldn't normally rationalize because the many says it's normal. You somehow got it in your head to be normal is to actually be part of the many. It's abnormal to be part of the few. This morning, I want to show you a short clip here that illustrates what I'm talking about. It's a really short clip. It's a, it's a pretty humorous clip. You guys are familiar with the concept of the candid camera? All right, Candid Camera. This is a, uh, an episode of Candid Camera, a short clip of that episode that I think speaks to the impact of the many versus the few. And so we're going to hit the lights and uh, let's uh, show this video here. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, he looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... See if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. The many versus the few. Friends, it's easy to follow the many, isn't it? It's easy. But it's hard to be part of the few. And I think that's Jesus' whole point here. He says it's hard to find the narrow gate because so few people are actually on it. So few people are actually willing to travel the hard road of following after Jesus. 
I want to give you just one more quote here. John Stott, a theologian and author, described the road to the wide gate this way. Listen to what he says. I love the way he puts it. He says, there's plenty of room on it. Again, we're talking about the road to the wide gate. He says, there's plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. It is the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries of either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations. That is the desires of the human heart in its fallenness. And then he begins to list out these things. He says, superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, censoriousness, which is basically an overly negative and critical spirit. He says, these things do not have to be learned or cultivated. He says, in fact, effort is needed to resist them. On the other hand, no effort is required to practice them. You don't need to try hard to practice these things. That is precisely why the broad road is easy. I mean, let's face it, church. No one in their right minds would ever describe following Jesus as easy. There's nothing easy about following Jesus. But according to this passage, friends, we can't get away from the teachings of Jesus. It's right in front of us. And we've got to wrestle with it to the ground. And we've got to decide, is what Jesus says true or not? Because if what Jesus says is true, he seems to be implying that following Jesus, following Jesus through this narrow gate, through this hard path where there are only a few traveling companions, he says that is actually the only way you're going to find life. It's the only way. And I know in an age of inclusion, we hate that kind of exclusive language. The thought that Jesus would be the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That Jesus would be the life and the resurrection. That he would be the good shepherd. That he would be the door, the gate. He would be the only way. But over and over and over again, we find Jesus says, but you got to understand, I came so that I can give you life. Friends, Jesus actually wants us to have life. But we've got to answer the tough question, which road am I actually on? Which road am I actually on? Some of you are following Jesus and you're looking around and you're like, man, I don't see nobody around. I must be on the wrong path. That might be a pretty good indicator that you're actually on the right path. What path are you on? What road are you on? Which gate are you moving towards? Don't fool yourself in thinking, well, I'm practicing the golden rule. I'm, I'm, I'm living as a good citizen. I'm being kind, loving, and generous towards people. I'm good. I'm good. No, not according to Jesus. The only way you're good is when we embrace the gospel of Jesus and we walk, when we walk in the gospel, when we walk in the kingdom way of Christ. So which path are you on? Which road are you on? Which gate are you moving towards?